Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. This is Kelsey here today with Ron Diamond. He's the founder and CEO at Diamond Wealth Strategies. Ron, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So, Ron, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I married 26 years. I've got two beautiful daughters, 19 and 22. One's a senior at Michigan. One's a freshman at Tulane. Um, I um, have two brothers. And then um, on the business front, um, I currently, I used to run a hedge fund and I sold it. And I currently work with about 100 single family offices, okay. ranging anywhere between 250 million to 30 billion. And kind of what I do is act as a funnel. So I don't, we don't invest in the public markets. I think it, it's very hard to create alpha, at least today in the public mm -hmm. markets. So we do mm -hmm. private equity, venture capital, real estate credit. I'll put a little money in, they'll put a lot of money in. Yeah. And because of that, I get really good deal flow. So I we don't charge anything, okay. but I'm not doing it for self-list purposes. I do it self-ishly because I get incredible deal flow because I've got more capital to allocate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, it sounds mm -hmm. like one, family is very important to you, but it also has, sounds like you're able to really support other families you know, outside of your own family as well, based on kind of this strategy that you have. Am I hearing that right? You're hearing it right, but one is based on love and one is based on money. <laughs> Two very important differentiations. <laughs> That's great. So kind of talk to me a little bit about the qualifying factors to be able to work with Diamond Wealth Strategies. There's well, so it's kind of, it's not really a business. I mean, so what I do, we invest and we work, like I said, with about 100 family offices. Mm -hmm. so it's not a business, a traditional business where, you know, we're making a profit on on an entity or on an aspect of the business. Okay. It's simply a way for me to deploy my capital and get better deal flow is basically what it is. Okay. I also sit on about 10 different boards, um, board of directors. Um, and I, my term just ended, but I chaired the disruptive technology center at Stanford university. And my term ended about six months ago. Wow. And then I run a couple tiger 21 groups, um, out of Chicago and we're actually launching a fam tiger 21 family office group, which I'll be one of the chairs of, uh, shortly. Wow. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah, it should be fun. I really like it. Yeah. So tell me, how did Diamond Wealth Strategies get started? I'd love to tell you it was a brilliant vision. Uh, it was very serendipitous. Um, look, I ran a hedge fund in, in the 90s. My first job was at Drexel Burnham and Drexel imploded uh, for mm -hmm. people old enough on the call to, to know about it. And um, I'm in the room with Fred Joseph, the CEO, and you know I'm 24 years old, but so I lost a good job. But I'm watching people like weep in, I mean, open men openly in, in the 80s men didn't openly weep right in front of you. So it was surreal. But my takeaway, and many of them lost most or all of their money. Um, I just lost a good job. But my takeaway from that was that I, I would always be loyal to people, but I would never be loyal, loyal to a company because if it could happen to Drexel, Drexel back then was like Goldman Sachs on steroids. Mm -hmm. um, and so then I came back and started a hedge fund. And um, so the, the the fund, you know, we we started uh, relatively small. We ended up with about 250 million. We were early in the space. Um, so we started in 1990. I ran it. Um, we never had huge returns, but we beat the S&P 10 out of 10 years. So, the, the okay. you know, if the market's up 13, we're up 14. If the market's up eight, we're up nine or 10. Mm -hmm. Our clients are really happy. And um, so we had a good run and um, I sold the company, took a little time off and started investing. So the the business, Diamond Wealth, 
is basically a way for me to deploy my capital, which is finite, um, and use other people's capital in order to what I call first call alpha. So mm-hmm. I don't have enough capital to be the first call from everybody, mm-hmm. um, but cumul- cumulatively I do. Mm-hmm. And you look at, um, they didn't call them family offices back in the 90s, they just used to call them rich people. So I had a bunch of rich people who mm-hmm. are called family offices, and that's basically what I do. Interesting. So tell me a little bit more about the family offices. Uh, um, I speak about this a lot. Um, you know, look, family offices, I, I keynoted a speech at Stanford three years ago, and I had five family offices on, on the podium. And I said, what's a family office and why did you create it? And I literally had five completely different answers. And nobody was wrong and nobody was right. That's just kind of where we are. So you hear the term family office and it, it, nobody really understands what it is. I'll say a couple things. First of all, the model itself as is doesn't work. Only 25% of family offices make it to second generation. 10 make it to the third and five make it to the fourth. So this model where everyone wants to be a family office is flawed. Secondly, the vast majority of family offices, there's roughly 17,000 family offices in the world, ballpark, controlling roughly $10 trillion in capital. And then you combine that with the fact that you've got 65 trillion coming downstream from the baby boomers, the next gen in the next 15 years, you're going to have the largest transfer of wealth ever. So this is a massive market. Yeah. And to put it in perspective, with 10 trillion today, there's four and a half trillion globally for the entire hedge fund world globally. And this market in the next 15 years will be larger than the entire uh, private equity and venture capital markets combined. So this is massive. The problem is, in general, it's very inefficient. It's very fragmented and very siloed. So what I believe is as the private markets disrupted the public markets in the early 80s, and the, the reason was very simple. You couldn't run a company and you report to a guy like me every 90 days and run your company. You're basically managing earnings. So private equity and venture capital are great models because basically the thought process was, all right, 2% covers your overhead and 20%. I only make money if you make money. So mm-hmm. the interests were better aligned. What's ha- in both private equity and venture capital exploded. What's happened, in my opinion, and again, this is a generalization, and I do have money in private equity firms and I funds, and I do have money in venture capital funds, and I do like the industry a lot, but in general, they bastardized the business and it became an AUM game. Mm-hmm. And so what should be a $250 million fund becomes a $2 billion fund, mm-hmm. because what's happening is they, they're making their money on the 2%, which is an annuity every single year. So there's almost a, an incentive to make the funds larger. Now, again, I'm generalizing, but I'll give you a perfect example. We, I had a close friend who did a roll-up of logistics companies. Great track record, needed 150 million. Went to a placement agent in New York and um, said, she said, great news. I was able to get you 500 million based on his track record and she was ready to get started. My friend said, okay, terrific, let's go. I just need 150 and we'll get started. If there's any uh, people from your audience in New York, I'm sorry if I'm offending you, but this could only happen in New York. Um, the person from New York literally came to the, the guy's apartment and wrote down 2% of 150 million equals X, 2% of 500 million equals Y, what am I missing? And then my friend who's a bit incredulous said, here's what you're missing. If I do what you want me to do, there won't be a fund too, because I can't deploy 500 million. I can deploy 150 million, but if you do what you want me to do, I'm not an idiot. Yes, I know 2%, I, I'll make more money today, but the performance won't be as good for my clients and I won't have a fun too. That to me is a microcosm of, and again, I'm generalizing, 
Yeah. But that's what's happening in the industry. If you have mm -hmm. SoftBank, you have a hundred billion dollar venture capital fund. It's insane. So they've got too much money. And the problem is that the, the, the private equity and venture capital funds, they have to, they're incented to, to flip companies every three to five years. And so I think we're at an inflection point with family offices. The biggest advantage family offices have is something called patient capital. They don't have to sell, right? So they want to buy a company and hold it for 20 years, period. So it's a better model. But right now, we're only in the third inning. I do think it'll never replace private equity and venture capital ever, but it'll it's starting to disrupt it and it'll it'll continue to disrupt it. Um, but we just there's a lot more education that has to go on with the family offices. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what do you think that'll look like kind of projecting out? What will it look like if family offices continue to disrupt the the space? It'll cause as much disruption as the, so the private market still exists, even though mm -hmm. public private equity and venture capital exploded. I think five to 10 years out, that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, private equity and venture capital will still exist and be massive markets. Mm -hmm. It's just that family offices will be a better alternative. Right, right now, it's just that, um, you know, a lot of the family offices, they're, there's several reasons for this, but you know it's it's a massive amount of capital. But in general, it's an inefficient hand. So just because you made a couple billion dollars selling Beanie Babies, and mm -hmm. I'm not picking on Ty, but you know actually I kind of am because I whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but just because you made money selling Be or widgets doesn't mean you could take a billion, grow it to two, not spoil the kids, do some philanthropy, do some wealth transfer, and grow the asset base. Mm -hmm. So it's a mismatch. So there's huge capital inefficient companies. So what's yeah. happening in the market is every bank, every law firm, every accounting firm, they're trying to trying to open up family office divisions. It's where the money is. Like Al Capone said, why do you rob banks? It's where the money is. So that's basically what, what what's happening. But what we need to do as an industry, and I write about this a lot, is figure out ways to make it more, we have to become more collaborative. Um, the, the 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 smart people don't know how to find the rich people. So I can go to PitchBook and I can find the top 50 venture capital firms or best 50 private or largest private equity firms or venture capital firms. They don't have that for family offices. They want they deliberately are under the radar. But in order for the 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 entrepreneurs to find them, we're gonna as a community have to get better give them better access. Mm -hmm. We also have to figure out a way how to compensate non-family members for family offices because right now and again, I'm generalizing, but if we're in the third inning of this, if I'm a family office in general and I'm paying somebody half a million dollars in general, I'm looking at that. This person cost me 500,000. Mm -hmm. If I'm Apollo or Blackstone and I pay somebody $500,000, they look at this as somebody who could potentially be a $10 million profit center. So it's nuanced, right? But it's not a cost. And family offices have to become more sophisticated to do that. We also have to get the educational system. So in colleges, where you know, I started to help to start a program, um, launch a program at Stanford, and we're trying to do it at a couple other schools where we're educating people because right now the the bright kids who are wanting getting into finance are going to private equity and venture capital. They don't even know what family offices are. Yeah. And so I, I think this is starting to change. So this is a it's a fascinating time to be in the space because it, it's extraordinarily fluid. And again, inefficient, fragmented, and siloed in any business you're making. I don't care if you're making widgets or you're making whatever. That's the kind of business you want to be in. And that's where we are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you talked about being fragmented, siloed, and inefficient kind of. But what? how do you define a family office? <laughs> if you can. Well, yeah. So <laughs> a fam what, I mean, what, what it's supposed to be is, you know, a family office is supposed to be, in, you know, 
somebody has a liquidity, but they have a company, they have a liquidity event and they sell it. And the whole purpose of the family office is to take the capital they've raised, whatever the amount that is, and have it last several generations, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But right now, that's typically not happening. Um, What we're seeing is, I mean, the first thing when you have a liquidity event, the first thing you really need to do is talk to an estate planning attorney. It's like the foundation of a house. Mm -hmm. The first thing most people do when they make a lot of money is they want to invest in a cool real estate or private equity or venture capital deal. And the, the problem is that there's no formalized structure on like a how-to for family. This is only new. I mean, remember 68% of the family offices started since 2000. Half of those started since the crash. So this is a brand new industry and people don't fully understand it. But as it becomes more sophisticated, you know, you look at one end of the spectrum, like we work closely with the Pritzkers and Paul Carbone, they've institutionalized it, right? Mm-hmm. They can be directly with Apollo or Blackstone, but he's got 55 people who work for him. Mm-hmm. Then you look at the other end of the spectrum who a, a person sells his company and they call me up and they say, I'm thinking about making my son-in-law the CIO. What do you think? And I said, well, what's his background? Mm-hmm. Straight A student from University of Indiana, Kelly School of Business. And then there's a pause. I'm like, yeah. Then what? Well, he just graduated. So they're asking me what, like, you can't hire him. I mean, he's your son-in-law, yes, but it makes no sense. So that's kind of where we are. Yeah. Um, and it, but it, it's starting to change, and it, it's fascinating because you're seeing it. And family offices are really starting to collaborate much more. Yeah. Um, we're not there yet. We're like I said, we're in the third inning. Mm-hmm. But the reason it's a better model is, let's say you're an entrepreneur and you've got a, you've created a great app. Typically, you say, okay, if I get backed by Sequoia or, or, or NEA, one of these big firms, you're all set. The problem is, if you're a great company, if you're a young entrepreneur and you create the company, you're one of 20 portfolio companies that the, the, the venture capital firm owns. Let's say your company takes three years and it's doing pretty well, but you think you're about to hockey stick straight up. It doesn't matter to you. It's not up to you. It's up to the port, up to the portfolio company who's incented to flip companies every three to five years. So even if you're about to take off, they might sell you, even if they agree you might take off because of how they're incented. Hmm. Family offices want to hold companies for 20, 30 years if they could. So if you think about it, what happens a lot of times in the private markets is private equity from A sells to private equity from B, mm-hmm. private equity from B sells to private equity from C, and along and they make money each one. And along at some point, one of them doesn't make money. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the cost, the transaction cost, the taxes that are paid during that period, versus in the friction versus a family office who could just buy a company, hold it for twenty years, and and, and not sell it, mm-hmm. it's called compounding. Mm-hmm. It's huge. So mm-hmm. the, the word patient capital is going to become much more common going forward. Interesting. Talk to me a little bit more about that patient capital. Uh, it's just more efficient, better alignment of interest. So patient okay. capital, everything I'm talking about really goes back to alignment of interest, right? So if if the private equity and venture capital firms are, and there's nothing wrong with it, it's just their model, they're, they're compensated to flip companies every three to five years. That's how their employees are paid. Mm-hmm. Patient, a family office they don't want to flip it, flip a company. They're not paid to flip a company. So there's a better alignment of interest with mm-hmm. the company. They're more partners. And if you look at a lot of the private equity and venture capital firms, um, I would argue, and I'm correct, that they're mostly, a lot of them are finance, finance guys. Mm-hmm. And in order to create alpha, it's very difficult to create alpha. I mean, I could take a company and, and financially engineer it and leverage it and whatever and, and make money on it. But to create true alpha long-term, you have to be able to operate. 
And the yeah. difference is that family offices, typically they have an entrepreneur and the entrepreneur was an operator. Mm-hmm. So if you're operating uh, a company, that's really how you can create true alpha. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So it sounds too like, you know, when someone, when a, when a, you know, a family office works with Diamond Wealth Financial, they're getting way more than just wealth advisement. They're getting your years of background and experience to really help guide that family office, it sounds like. Well, but we're, look, don't don't look at us as like a company. We're not looking for business. I'm not looking for right. clients that, or anything like that. Right. We, we're not a business set up for that. Mm-hmm. It's just a way for me to deploy my own capital. Mm-hmm. Um, what I do okay. do, what I do do is... Um, I, I've been a, done a pretty good job of find, surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me in different areas. So if somebody needs help with the top estate planning attorney or somebody needs help with the top philanthropy, you know, working mm-hmm. on philanthropy or impact investing, I kind of know who to go to. But okay. our company is not it's not like Goldman Sachs, where yeah. it's a company that's that's um, built to grow. It's just really a company that that is built. But I think what's happened in the interim is that as this has occurred, uh, and as serendipitously I got into the space, I started speaking to a lot of these camp conferences and mm-hmm. writing a lot. And then I became, you know, a bit of a thought leader in the space. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I like to do. Like mm-hmm. I love, I'm kind of an evangelist for family, for private equity, for, for family capital. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not bashing private equity and venture capital because I think yeah. they're, they're necessary and they're fabulous industries. And I invest in all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think your the the alignment of interest has been changed, and mm-hmm. I think ultimately things go back to where's your greatest alignment of interest. And I think in the next ten years, it's going to be fascinating because more of the top schools are going to the top kids yeah. out of Stanford, Harvard, Yale are going to want to get into the family offices, in my opinion. And their first choice is not going to be private equity or venture capital. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So it sounds like you know you being able to leverage your capital is one of the ways that you've and you know surround yourself with brilliant people who are the, you know, the experts in their own space is how you've been able to differentiate yourself and be a thought leader in your own space. I look, well, the, the difference is I have no agenda. Like, like I'm yeah. not looking to um, sell anything. I there's not, there, I don't have a product. I don't want, mm-hmm. people to, I don't make money when people come in. Mm-hmm. So I think that the, the best compliment I ever got after, and I speak, give a lot of speeches, a lot of keynotes, um, the best compliment I ever received was that uh, some woman came up to me afterwards and said that was really authentic. Mm. And I didn't really take it as a compliment. I mean, like, OK. Um, but then after a day or two, I thought about it. I'm like, that's a huge compliment. Yeah. Now, it also might be because nobody's ever said that was a brilliant speech. So I got to take that into consideration. But I think just authenticity and understanding where, you know, everyone has an agenda. I mean, yeah. it's, it, you know, my daughter's dating a 19 year old boy little bastard has an agenda. I mean, I, I get everyone has an agenda, yeah. but just know what the the agenda is yeah. and people need to know what they are. Yeah. And making and, sure and my, not- and my daughter's boyfriend's a nice boy. I'm not trying to discourage. <laughs> However, you are a father first and foremost. I am a father and yeah. <laughs> but and I was sounds- 19 too. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, I think it's that authenticity, too, that makes you because I, I hear it in your voice and I hear the passion behind it. And, you know, you, I hear why you've been so successful at giving your speeches and being a thought leader and, you know, helping institute these these new I don't want to call them like initiatives, but a new path for people coming out of school to be able to pursue this different avenue that may not necessarily be open to them because what they're used to is, you know, private equity. And it's not just a pat. It's not just for kids to get into this industry. Yeah. It's also for 
uh, a better line of alignment of interest. So you, it's better for if you if you're a company and you need money, your options are you can go to a venture capital or a private equity firm. This is a third alternative, and I would argue that if, and this is a big if, if it's if it's efficient enough, if okay. if they're the Pritzkers or the Dells or the you know, and they've they've established it, it's a better model. Mm-hmm. If they haven't, don't have the infrastructure, it's a worse model. Yeah. And what I think is going to happen is right now you've got a finite number of people where it's a better model. Mm-hmm. I just think that's going to increase over the next five to 10 years. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That's good insight. So I guess on that on that point of insight, if you were to leave our listeners with one thing either about, you know, Diamond Wealth strategies or, you know, uh, the, the industry, the space, what would you want to leave our listeners with? Uh, it wouldn't be a business thing. It would be my daughter um, had a, she's nine years old and we have a thing in our house where you call three times and it's an emergency. So I'm in a meeting with a large family office. I get three calls. Yep. I got to take the call. And my daughter asked me, daddy, what are the five most important things in life? And I'm like, Bella, this is not an emergency. We'll talk about it later. Go home. And it was a project she was doing in school. She was like in fourth grade and the school, what do you have to, and I worked with her and basically said, what are the five most, and for her, it was like being nice, mm-hmm. being a good student, listening to mommy and daddy, uh, being popular and being a good, good athlete, mm-hmm. always having a lot of candy. I mean, those were for her. And she said, what are yours? And I said, whatever, I'll, I didn't even think about it. But then I thought about it over the last couple, next couple months. And then I'm I'm like, all right, fine, I'll write it down. So what I would leave for the listeners is to me, and this is just for me, it's not right or wrong. It's just, mm-hmm. I put down in order, love, uh, gratitude, attitude, balance, and laughter. So for me, those are my five most important things. I think that, you know, everybody who's listening to this podcast is probably a business person, entrepreneur, is trying to make money and as am I, and that, that's terrific. But we have to keep things in perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can align ourselves with that, I I, I just think that um, it, it's a wonderful world and there's a lot of good that can, that can happen. And that's what I would leave with. Love, gratitude, attitude, balance and laughter. Wow. Well, I have nothing else to say other than that. Love, gratitude, attitude, laughter. And what was the last one that I missed? Balance and then laughter. Balance. Balance and laughter. And laughter. Because, look, it's a, it's a crazy... It there's is. a lot. There's a lot of stuff that happens in the world that is just twisted, but you just have to have a good sense of humor um, for it. So just to be able to get through. Absolutely. Well, That's Ron, true. thank you for being on business. This has been a great conversation. I really, truly appreciate you having being on the show today. Ron Diamond, CEO and founder at Diamond Wealth Strategies. Ron, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, are you a business ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.